0: done. And what we did over the Christmas break is we had um, part of um, our giving season was, uh, I mean, it's always giving season, but (laughs) what we had was um, two things. Number one, um, an update uh, from the Lopez's, which is going to come next week about um, some orphan work in uh, the Dominican Republic. Um, But even beyond that, we were able to have a clothing drive um, for some of the needy here in the city. And Greg uh, Hampton is just going to give a quick update about that. So can you give a hand to Greg as he comes up, please?
1: Hello. Hi. Good morning. So um, just a quick uh, synopsis of what we did for those of you who were gone. um, During the giving season, we decided to do a clothing drive for Pacific Garden Missions. They're one of the largest Christian-based homeless outreach ministries in the country. And they give out thousands of articles of clothing a month. Um, The last month before we started that we had data for, they gave out over 43,000 pieces of clothing. And so in a city like Chicago, where according to some statistics, about one in 20 people in the last year were homeless at any given point, this drive was really important to help meet a very tangible need. Um, So we were able to donate, thanks to everyone's generous contributions, 48 boxes and bags worth of clothing to the mission and that really makes a difference, especially since a lot of that was winter clothes and now it's finally cold enough to wear winter clothes. So I just want to personally thank every single person who gave generously out of what God has given you. Um, This will not be the last thing that we do in this vein, but it's definitely a great start to bless our city. Um, And just through this, the rest of the year, we're going to be doing different projects that in small ways are going to make some tangible differences here in this city. So thank you all. I just ask that, you know, you continue to pray about ways that we as a church can give back. And um, if you have any ideas, let me know. Thank you. Great.
0: Good job, Jeff.
1: Great. So with that in mind, I'm telling you,
0: thank you, thank you, thank you, everybody. What do you say, 48 bags? That's a lot from a congregation this size. So listen, if we see you wearing the same clothes week after week, that is okay. We know you gave, okay? So it is good. So good job, everybody. Let me tell you something. We are going to continue our season now of uh, fasting um, because, well, actually, we're going to um, go into this uh, season, this new year, 2016, by consecrating ourselves to God. So what we're doing is we're actually having a series right now, which is called The Church Awakened. And yes, it is uh, inspired by a certain George Lucas film. Um, But the um, thing is, is that we are the church that needs to awaken to the things of God and the purposes of God um, here in this city. And last week, we talked about the fact that we are doing it through consecrating ourselves at the beginning of the year, at the beginning of all that we do through times of prayer and fasting, not only individually, but as a church. And so if you were not here with us last week, just to update you, what we're doing as we go into this week is we're going to have Monday through Friday... As a time of fasting. And we're going to be humbling ourselves before God as a community, asking him to move on behalf of his purpose, his gospel ministry here in the city and break out in power. And so um, for those of you who've never fasted before, I just wanted to reiterate um, for you that there is going to be a fasting and prayer guide on the website for you. Um, it is something that's done every day uh, where you can even start today in preparation for it if you'd like to participate. And each day of the fast, there is a Bible study for you so that you can get a biblical background on what fasting entails and what it's for, and also a journal where you can write about the things that you're asking God for and um, believing him for during the time of the fast. Um, we also have um, for you times of corporate um, prayer, um, again, Friday nights as we do each week, um, and then also just to highlight for you every morning, Sunday morning, before the service begins, there is a prayer meeting taking place where we can out to God for Him to move not only in our services each Sunday morning but throughout the week um, together, and so that's available to you. And then finally, we um, wanted to let you know a lot of people have already asked, "Okay, I want to fast, I want to pray, but what do I pray for?" Okay, and one of the things that we um, ended the message with last week was our vision statement for the church, which can be found on the website. And so, if there are specific points that we feel like God's really provoking us towards and entrusting to us as Second City Church, and if you go to the website that can be a detailed guide for you that each day as you pray and fasting, you can pray those things as you cry out to God along with your brothers and sisters here, okay? Very practical, very um, simple. Um, I hate fasting, but it's good. Okay, anybody else with me? Okay, well, I'm just trying to be honest, okay? (laughs) It is good, okay? And it is um, not, um, let me um, reiterate, it is not dieting, okay? It's not dieting into the new year. It is consecration into the new year, but there are practical benefits. (laughs) Okay, so with that in mind, with that in mind, we're gonna get started with the word of God, all right? So with that, um, Jesus, what did he say about fasting? In Matthew chapter nine, verses 14 through 17, the disciples came to John and and came to him and saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast? but your disciples do not fast. And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? Jesus being the bridegroom for his bride, the church. And he said, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, which Jesus has after his death, burial, and resurrection, where he sacrificed himself for our sins to reconcile us to a holy God. But then because he was sinless, he was raised from the dead three days later so we could have new forgiveness of sins and new life in him and went to be with the father. But he said, I'm taken away for you in the, um, um, for a moment in time. I'm going to make a return. But in the in-between time, my people will fast. He says... <clears throat> And then not only will they fast, but no one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. For the patch tears away from the old garment and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wine skins. If it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wine skins and so both are preserved. So when we think about like going into uh, the church awakening this uh, season, and we think about why we're fasting together, one of the things that we we want to remember is that we're asking God to do new things amongst us. Anybody believing for new things to be done amongst you in 2016 or actually through you in 2016? Well, Jesus said very practically, one of the ways that you could get ready for that is through times of fasting and prayer, where he says, listen, the old things that I'm going to do have a particular, you have a capacity for them in the old wineskins that were your patterns of life and your habits of life. But the new things that I want to do in you, I want to prepare your heart I want to prepare your mind. I want to prepare your even perception and your faith before me as a new wineskin so I can pour out my spirit upon you and in you and through you to do new things amongst you, okay? And if you think about a wineskin, you know, I wasn't um, very much for uh, drinking growing up because I came from a Jamaican family, and it's sort of like you were given— 150 proof rum as a kid. You know what I mean? And I, I'm not talking about by the bottle. I'm talking about like put it on your tongue. If you were sick, you know what I mean? It, like you it was put on your tongue and you're like, Whoo, I felt that, <laughs> you know what I mean? And everything was cleared up. So it wasn't my forbidden fruit, but I think about what the wineskin looked like back in the day, you know what I mean? In Jesus' time, and it often was like in a leather pouch, right? And what they had is that it was kept in these wineskins and they would pour it and use it and they would have these flasks to utilize. But over the course of time, they would dry out, right? They would dry out, and then as they dried out, they would begin to crack. And that's synonymous with our life, is it not? It's sort of like we're loving God, we're serving him faithfully, but over the course of time, has anybody run into a dry spell with God, trying to be faithful before him? Well, he said the old wineskin can get dry and it can crack, but what it can do is also be renewed. God wants to renew you and give you new wineskins, and he says that when he does that, he'll replace the old with the new, so that the new thing that he wants to do in you, as you consecrate yourself, can be preserved. So you're growing in strength, you're growing in faith, you're growing in discipline, and you're growing in the things of God unto His purposes. So that is why we are fasting together. But whenever I think about um, fasting, I also think about um, a particular story in the Old Testament. Not that they um, mentioned fasting, but it was sort of the mentality that the um, people had. How many people have heard of um, David and um, Jonathan? Anybody? Heard on um, the stories of David and Jonathan before, okay. If you did not grow up in the church, King David was one of the greatest kings of Israel, um, and he was known as a man after God's own heart. He was the second king of Israel, and the one who preceded him was a man named Saul. And Saul, though he was appointed by God to lead and to rule, he did not serve God wholeheartedly. We'll talk about that at another time. And so, even though he was to have a family line and a legacy with the purposes of God under God's leadership, and Inevitably, he was rejected as king because he picked and chose what he wanted to obey in God's commandments. And have we not all been guilty of that before? Picking and choosing what we like and what we don't like, and then inevitably we find ourselves... God where like where God, where are you? Well, Saul was rejected as king, his son Jonathan, however, loved um, God and loved his purposes, and he united himself after the slaying of david um, um, David's slaying of Goliath with this young man john i 'm um, sorry, young man David, who would inevitably be appointed by God to be saul 's successor. But in the midst before that um, ever happened, because many of you are familiar with the story of David and Goliath, there was a time in Israel where Israel was doing battle again. In again against the Philistines, who were a neighboring, um, <clears throat> a neighboring people group in the land of Canaan, which is known as modern-day Israel, and they were oppressing the Israelites again and again and again. And God raised up deliverers over the course of time. This new king, Saul, was to be a deliverer for the people of Israel. But then all of a sudden, you see that in the midst of his wandering and wavering, you know, I mean, picking and choosing how he would serve God in wholehearted obedience, we see that the Israelites, under his leadership, sort of came to a standstill. They came to a standstill and then all of a sudden you see the Philistines oppressing them in a way that they shouldn't whenever the leadership of God is actually obeying God wholeheartedly. And so we see in 1 Samuel chapter 14 how the um, Israelites who were going to learn an example from for the church needed to awaken to the things of God when they chose to consecrate themselves. And let me tell you the good news is, is that it didn't have to be everybody at one time. It just took one everybody say just takes one it just took one to rise up and to believe God and say, I'm going to be set apart once again, wholeheartedly for his purposes, and it provided a rallying point for the entire nation and for God's deliverance. And my, my strong appeal to each and every one of us today is can you not be that one? Can we individually not be that one to say, God, let's move, let's um, um, pursue you wholeheartedly again, and let's rally this church unto your purposes. So if you have a Bible today, please turn to First. Samuel uh, Samuel chapter fourteen, we're going to start in verse one. It says this, talking about that instance of Jonathan with his father <clears throat> Saul, rallying the people of God unto God's purposes. The Israelites in this particular section awakening, and it being an example for the church awakening as well. Okay, it said one day Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, come. Let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he did not tell his father. So Saul is camped with his group of men and they're just going through business as usual, right? Has anybody ever like um, grown up in church before and just felt like you were doing business as usual, going through the motions, but there wasn't ever, ever really any forward progress or forward motion. There was never any faith to say, let's advance, right? The Bible says, according to Jesus, that from the days of John the Baptist, who was his forerunner until his present now, the kingdom of God has been forcefully advancing and forceful men and women lay hold of it up Of course, the understanding being that they do it in love. But there was an advancing nature to the things of God, not a standstill nature. But in the midst of Saul's wavering and wandering, we see that they were at a standstill. And Jonathan said, no more. No more. We're going to do something different. I'm not even going to wait for my father to ask permission for it. I'm going to ask God for it. And sometimes we got to do that, do we not? We have to say, you know what, I'm not waiting for anybody else to do the right thing. I'm going to approach God and I'm going to do the right thing on behalf of my family, on behalf of my city, on behalf of my nation and the nations of the earth. I'm going to believe God for something great. And so Jonathan didn't tell his father... But he got up and Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah in the pomegranate cave at Migron. The people who were with him were about 600 men. So Saul had an army with him. He had an army with him, but they were just in the cave, okay? He said, including Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, Son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the priest of the Lord in Shiloh. So he even had the leader of the religious um, um, ceremony and festivals with him, so Saul had, wearing an ephod. And ephod was basically a linen garment by which they were helping to um, help the uh, people, the priests, determine the will of God for the people. So Saul had everything that he needed to do the will of God, but they were just standing still. It said, within the... Sorry, and the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Within the passes by which the, um, Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a rocky crag on, the other, on one side and a rocky crag on the other side. The name of the one was Bozes and the name of the other, Sineh. The one crag rose on the north in front of Michmash and the other on the south in front of Geba. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. Does that encourage anybody? It says, I'm telling you, it encourages me for our church because, listen, I came from a church of 1,200 people. And then we came to Chicago, and it was like our family and coal. And then all of a sudden, I I was like, okay, well, here we go, God. You're able to save whether by many... Or by few, right? You're able to save by many or by few. That's a faith that Jonathan had. If God is for us, who can be against us, right? If God is on your side because you're aligned with his purposes, who can come against the things that God wants to do? We believe in a God of miracles, do we not? Okay, come on now. We believe in a God of miracles. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he will show himself strong accordingly. This is a faith that Jonathan had. And he said, once Roland finds his place again, he says, okay, come, let us go over. Nothing can hinder." He said, and his armor bearer said to him, do all that is in your heart. Do as you wish. Behold, I am with you heart and soul. Then Jonathan Jonathan said, behold, we will cross over to the men and we will show ourselves to them. Imagine this, two young men going against an entire army. If they say to us, wait until we come to you, you can imagine them being up on a hill and they're like, okay, you want to taunt us? We're going to come down and beat you down. Okay. If they say to, um, we'll come down to you, he says this, then we will stand in our place and we will not go up to them. In other words, we'll we'll be out, (laughs) okay? But if they say, come up to us, then we will go up, for the Lord has given them into our hands. Now, can you imagine that? They were on a hill, the army that they were about to come against. Which do you think would have been harder to do? Attack going up a hill or attack with somebody coming towards you? It would have been harder to attack going up a hill, right? So he's basically saying, if they come down and attack us, then... Maybe we uh, jumped the gun a little bit <laughs> and maybe we need to be out. <laughs> you know what I mean? But if they say the even more difficult thing, that the only way this is going to get done is if God moves, then that's our sign that God's with us. Can you imagine following um, Jonathan as his armor bearer? I would have been like, Jonathan, you crazy. You know, you are crazy. You're trying to make it as hard as you can to see God move. But that's going to be your sign that he's going to move? He said, yes. Yes, and beats his chest, and you know what I mean. Like starts grunting, like tonight on home improvement. Okay, so all of a sudden he says, he says this. That's our sign. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines, and the Philistines said, "Look." Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have been hidden, where they have been hiding themselves. And the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us, and we will show you a thing. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, all right, that's it. Come up after me, for the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet and his armor bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer killed them after him. And that first, at that first strike, which Jonathan and his armor bearer made, killed about 20 men within as it was... <clears throat> sorry, within, as it were, half a furrow's length in an acre of land. And there was a panic in the camp, in the field, and among all the people. The garrison and even the raiders trembled, and the earth quaked, and it became a very great panic. That is inspiring, is it not? That is inspiring. When you are fasting and praying, I'm telling you, there's some faith that's going to rise in you. There is some faith that's going to arise in you for the things that God himself can do. And if you're to be anything as the people of God, you're to be people of faith. And not small faith, but great faith right? Jesus was continually honoring not just the Israelites, but he was honoring even the Gentiles who came to him during his time of earthly ministry. And he would commend them for the great faith that they had. Remember the centurion that came up to him whenever he, um, he healed him And he was like, listen, look, Jesus, I, I, I know that you can do all things. And I have a servant who's at home and sick, you know, and I'm just asking you to have mercy on him. And what did Jesus say to him? He said, listen, I have compassion and you all go with you. I'll go with you to heal him. And then what did the centurion, who was a Gentile soldier at the time, say to him? He's like, listen, Jesus, you don't even need to do that. Because I'm a man of authority, I'm under authority, and I have people under authority under me. And I understand that as the one in charge, you're in control of everything. All of heaven and earth are obeying your command. So if you just speak the word, my servant will be healed. And what did Jesus say? He was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You, Gentile person, have great faith. You have great faith, go. It's going to be done for you as it is believed it would, as it is said, as you said it would be done, as I say it's going to be done. And Jesus marveled at his faith. I'm telling you, as we're fasting and praying, God is trying to birth and reinvigorate some great faith in us for great exploits as we know him and love him for the things that God wants to do here in this place. We want to be like David and, I'm sorry, not David and Jonathan, but Jonathan and his armor bearer who say, if God is for us, who can be against us? God can bring a revival to Chicago once again. How many people believe that? God can bring revival in the nations once again because he is the same and his heart is the same for the people who love him and know him as it was before. But what do we do if we fasted and prayed and our faith is rising to a level like Jonathan and his armor bearer? Well, fa- fasting brings not, only, it brings not only the heart of God, it brings clarity and preparation for the new things of God, but it also, fast and um, bring strength and conviction for the old things of God. Because many times it's the old things of God that you are already doing that are going to actually see the new things of God come about if we're faithful to continue in them. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean that, like for instance, some of you have been believing God for breakthrough in your marriage. Some of you have been um, believing God for a breakthrough in your work life or your finances, and some of you have been expecting God to do something so different and so radical, yummy, know I mean, that you don 't have to do the old things to actually see Him do the new thing. But what we see is that it 's actually a reinvigoration of the old things and the obvious things that will actually by faith allow him to break through in the new. And that's what we see. I I see that I've counseled men and um, women over the years as couples. And I I, I have often heard, unfortunately, men talking about, listen, it's not going well in my present marriage. So I need to get out and find somebody that I'm actually in love with. Okay. How many people know that's not the Lord? Okay. Because no, seriously, it's not the Lord, because what they need to do is Maybe fast and pray for some breakthrough, maybe change the way that they're relating to their wife and how they're investing in their wife so that the old thing might actually become new, right? All of a sudden you see that it provides clarity and it provides conviction for the old. The will of God is often hidden in plain sight and not something far off and somewhere where you can't find it. God wants to make his will plain and clear to you in this new year. Can I say that to you? Everybody says God is a mysterious God and he moves in mysterious ways. Has anybody heard that before? It's as if God is unknowable. But how many people know that God wants to make his will known to you? Your heavenly Father wants you to have confidence in the things that you're walking with on a daily basis. He starts it with his everlasting, eternal word, and then he speaks to you by his Holy Spirit. And as you're consecrating um, yourself in times of fasting and prayer, he gives you conviction to stand in it. He gives you strength to stand in the thing he's already said. He said, stop looking for a new solution. I've already given you everything that you need, right? For life and godliness, according to our knowledge of him, is what Peter said, who called us by his own glory and goodness. So God is not trying to keep his will hidden from you. He makes it more obvious than you realize with where you are, who you are with, and what you are doing. It's oftentimes that he's trying to give us new eyes to see the very present situation that we're in differently. Differently. That's what we need sometimes in the new year. Not a new circumstance. We need new eyes to see. And a new strength and a new vitality to approach it with faith. How do we know that? Well, we see several examples. I'll just give you three. First of all, when God was calling... Moses to deliver the Israelites out of their bondage and their slavery in Egypt. Moses was looking for something astounding, which God absolutely provided in the plagues that he wrought upon the Egyptians, right? But starting in Exodus 4, verses 1 and 2, Moses was saying, Listen, God, I know you're calling me to deliver the Israelites, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, though, Hey, listen, Moses what's that in your hand? I'm going to deliver by what you already have in your hand. Stop looking for something new. And the question for you today is what do you already have in your hand by which God wants to provide deliverance, not only in your life, but also for the city around you? What do you have in your hand? God's equipped you now to actually provide solutions that are going to be eternal. What do you have in your hand right now? We see that Paul, even when he was talking to the uh, church in Corinth about um, marriage, he, he was like, listen, stop thinking that you're going to find satisfaction somewhere else. You know, because they were like often longing and wondering, like saying, you know, like we're going through troubling times. Should I get married? Should I not get married? You know what I mean? If I, my circumstances just change, then I'll be a whole person. Then I'll be a complete person. Then I'll be a settled person. And that's often, especially in this culture, the... <laughs> I guess a trap that we can often fall into, right? It's like, I love marriage and B completes me, you know? But the thing about it is, is that, but even before that, it doesn't, even if B was not there, it would not mean that I was less of a person because I was single or that somehow that I'd had less of the call of God on my life because I did not have a spouse, right? It's not your circumstances that are defining you. It's actually God and Jesus Christ that defines you and gives you your purposes. This is what Paul said and encouraged the people. In. He said, only let each person, um, 1 Corinthians 7, verse Seventeen through twenty-four. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule I lay down in all the churches. One: was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. He said, were you a bondservant when you were called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. And likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You are bought at a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. So he's saying, basically, start with where you are. Some of us are so dissatisfied with our work life that we fail to see what God can do with it right here and right now. We're just unsettled and unhappy all the time, thinking that if we could just get to the new thing, then we'll be all right. And God's like, no, 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 I've got joy for you right now, where you are. I've got peace for you and purpose for you right now, where you are. Is he gonna call you to something else? Maybe. But until he makes that clear, Stop having a wandering eye. Until he makes it clear, stop just thinking that your happiness uh, like exists in the greener pastures that you don't find yourself in or in the relationship that you're not in right now. You understand? He's saying, right now, I've got joy for you. Right now, I've got peace for you. Right now, I've got purpose for you. Remain in the place that he's called you to until he calls you to something else. And he makes that clear, right? He makes that very clear. So much so that you had to have confidence in him. James, Jesus' younger half-brother, said this. If any of you lacks wisdom in the midst of your trials, that's the context of it, right? He said, in the midst of your trials, if you go right back into 2016 and you find yourself in the same trials that you had in 2015. He said, in the midst of your trials, this is what I want you to do. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. Or without finding fault is what another translation says. And it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And let me tell you something. God wants to end double-mindedness amongst his people. He wants you to be certain and secure in the things he's called us to, number one, by his word, and then number two, by his spoken spirit. And that is good news for us, is it not? You need firm foundations off of what you pivot to go into the things that he's called you to in this city and in life. Now, the thing about it is is that especially relationally, I'm going to tell you in this city like this, it it is important that you relationally stop looking to somewhere else to have the fulfillment of, I'm not even talking about the romantic relationships, talking about the platonic relationships that he's made available to, to you right here and right now. You see what I mean? It's like in a church, even this size, I'm gonna tell you, nobody should be lonely. Can I tell you that? Nobody should be lonely at all. Most times when people are lonely, it's because of the fact that they want to hang with or be with or be BFFs with somebody who's not interested in being BFFs with them. But the very person who's available to you is a person that God has as your reward in him if you would just avail yourself to somebody who might not be like you. Has anybody ever seen that before? Has anybody ever said, you know what? I, I really feel like I'd get along with that person, but the very person who's calling you, texting you, or trying to be in relationship with you are like, no, nah, they're not my speed. <laughs> and it's like, really? Well, do you remember the example of like, you know, like, do you remember the example of like, like, what is it? Rachel and Leah. Anybody remember that? Rachel and Leah. Okay, I'll tell you a story. <laughs> okay. Okay. Rachel and Leah. Jacob, otherwise known as Israel, was a man of promise. Abraham's grandson. Eventually had many, many children through multiple wives, unfortunately. Okay. But the thing is, is that the one that he was in love with was a girl named Rachel. And it said about her that she was lovely in form. That's what the Bible said. <laughs> That's what God said. Okay, so it's like lovely in form. You know what that means? Ba-boom, right? <laughs> That's what that means. And so all of a sudden, all of a sudden, Rachel, you know what I mean, was easy on the eyes for Jacob. And then it was very natural for Jacob to be like, oh, <laughs> there's my promise. That's the one I love. That's the one. And Laban, the father of Rachel and Leah, they were sisters. He, I mean said, yeah, I'll give them to you if you work for me, right? And he was like, well, but i got to give you my uh, older daughter first, right? And Ra- Jacob was like, well, well, I want that younger one. And um, eventually what happened was that, you know, as the story goes, uh, Jacob was tricked. It says he was a trickster, was given Leah first, who had weak eyes, you know, and Rachel secondly. And when they were leaving that place to go into the promised land, said that the father, Laban, came after them because Rachel, the one who was like the hourglass, basically came and um, she basically hid some of the idols of her father with him, with her and took them out. And so Laban was like, wait, these are my gods. You know what I mean? Where would my gods go? He came after him, tried to track them down, and then all of a sudden he was about to get rid of Jacob if he did not give it up, but Rachel hid him. The point of this story is this. The point of this story is this. The one that Jacob was most attracted to was the idolater. But the one through whom the um, tribe of Judah came, who brought inevitably Jesus, the Messiah, was Leah, the one with the weak eyes. And all of a sudden, what we can see from that story is the one that God has for you might not be the one or the thing that you think you need to have. It might be something different to bring about the promises of God, but you're waiting for some ideal in your mind to fulfill you in your heart and soul. When God's like, that's not what I have for you, that's going to lead to idolatry. That will only encourage your idolatry where God is trying to give you his promise, which is found only in him. Does Does that make sense to everybody? He's saying, look, look for what I'm doing and what I've already placed in your hand, not what you think you need to have. That goes back to the sort of story in the parable of the man who failed to be delivered from the flood that was coming. Does anybody remember that story? Okay, I'm going to read it to you now. This is a modern-day parable. What we're trying to punch home is that unless God clearly calls and sends you somewhere else, buckle down, number one, in your job. Number two, love the family that you have, not that you wish you had. Number three, marry if you need to. Number four, love that family once you marry. And then number five, serve your church and your community. Stop trying to figure out somewhere else to go. He said, a man was trapped in his house during a flood. He began praying to God to rescue him. He had a vision in his head of God's hand reaching down from heaven and lifting him to safety. The water started to rise in his house. His neighbor urged him to leave and offered him a ride to safety. But the man yelled back, I'm waiting for God to save me. I'm waiting for God to save me. The neighbor drove off in his pickup truck and left him. The man continued to pray and hold on to his vision. As the water began rising in his house, he had to climb up on the roof. A boat came by with some people heading for the safe ground. They yelled at the man to grab a rope. They were ready to throw and take him away to safety. Yet he told them that he was waiting for God to save him. They shook their heads and moved on. The man continued to pray, believing with all his heart that he would be saved by God. The floodwaters continued to rise. A helicopter flew by and a voice came over a loudspeaker offering to lower a ladder and take him off the roof. The man waved the helicopter away, shouting back that he was waiting for God to save him. The helicopter left. The flooding water came over the roof and caught him up and swept him away. The man drowned. When he reached heaven, he asked, God, why did you not save me? I believed in you with all my heart. Why did you let me drown? God replied, I sent you a pickup truck, a boat, and a helicopter, and you refused all of them. What else could I possibly do for you? What else could I possibly do for you? God was like, listen, I came to save you in every which way possible, but you rejected them all because you had something in your mind that wasn't of me. How often have we been guilty of doing that? How often have we wanted something other than what God himself is providing for not only our deliverance, but for the deliverance of others? God's like, I've got it all for you if you just do it my way. Fasting and prayer can help us with that. We need to get rid of the shiny new coin syndrome. I like it. The shiny new coin syndrome, the enemy has a trap of diminishing efforts where he has us looking for something mysterious or out of reach when God has made plain his will to you. If you do this, if you see the need, take the lead. There's no need, um, re, um, need to continue to pray about what God makes obvious. Once you've prayed, asking for his direction and blessing, go forward, serve, build, and win battles for the Lord. And this is what we see finally in First Samuel 14. After Jonathan and his armor bearer went up to fight the Philistines and the sort of the panic broke out amongst them because they, by faith, went to fight. Then all of a sudden, we see Saul respond to that and get out of his stupor. It said in verse 16, And the watchmen of Saul and Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and behold, the multitude was dispersing here and there. Then Saul said to the people who were with him, Count and see who has gone from us. And when they had counted, behold, Jonathan and his armor-bearer were not there. So Saul said to Ahijah, bring the ark of God here. For the ark of God went at that time with the people of Israel. Now while Saul was talking to the priest, the tumult in the camp of the Philistines increased more and more. So Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. What Saul was doing in the midst of the fighting and the battle and the tumult that God himself had caused as he was asking the priest to pray about it. He's saying, hey, listen, I see this going on, but I need you to confirm for me (laughs) if this is actually you, God. And the battle kept being waged, and the battle kept like Jonathan, and you can imagine his like he and his armor bear fighting and fighting. And then if they could at all see, I don't know if they could see him, but if they could at all see Saul and his like um um and his um, soldiers in the camp, he's like, stop praying, let's go and fight. <laughs> stop thinking about things. You know, I'm swinging. You know, what I mean? back in the day, they had swords and shields and stuff like that, and you can imagine him ducking, and it's like, Dad, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> He's like, listen, two against, you know, 20 plus, And I'm I, like, I'm about to be taken out. Death, stop praying about it. Let's go. Get in the game. And he's like, no, 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 no. Shh, Asha, let's seek the Lord. And finally, because of what was very plain and obvious, he's like, all right, listen, take your hand out. <laughs> I guess we need to do something. I guess we need to do something. Then Saul and all the people who were with him rallied and went into the battle. And behold, every Philistine's sword was against his fellow, and there was great, very great confusion. Now the Hebrews, had been, who had been with the Philistines before that time and who had gone up with them into the camp, even they also turned to be with the Israelites, with Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, when all the men of Israel, who had hidden themselves in the hill country of Ephraim, heard that the Philistines were fleeing, they too followed hard after them into battle. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle passed beyond beth Aven. Inevitably, what happened was they stopped talking about things. They stopped thinking about things, and they became men of action. They became men of action. And ultimately, in 2016, that's what we're positioning ourselves to do, become men and women of action. Amen to that? The Bible says very clearly in Proverbs fourteen twenty three last scripture, in all toil there is profit, but mere talk, mere talk leads only to what? Poverty. In all toil there is profit, but mere talk leads only to, prof, uh, um, to poverty. So in 2016, let's turn all faith to prayers. And here we go. All prayers to action. You see how that works? If you've got faith, you need to pray about it. And if you've got some prayers that you're offering up, you need to have some corresponding action to see God himself bring it about in your family, in your work life, in the city as we preach this everlasting, eternal gospel, and God will move just like he did then in power. Amen? That's why we're praying. That's why we're fasting. So let's worship him together. Rise to your feet, please. To learn more about the many activities at Second City Church, search online for secondcitychurch.org. That's 2ndcitychurch.org. For all the information you need, sign up for our email and stay up to date on all upcoming plans and events.